Are you taking a reactive or proactive approach to your taxes? Do you wait until the year is over and hope for the best when tax time comes around? Is your business taking accurate tax deductions and receiving all the tax credits you deserve? Welcome to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge. Today, we will answer these questions and many more. So sharpen your pencil and take some notes. Now, here is your host, Marcelino Dodge. Good day and welcome to the Tax Answers Advisor Show 60 with Marcelino Dodge, Enrolled Agent. What a joy it is to have you here listening to this podcast today or watching live on either Facebook or YouTube. It is a joy to have a worldwide audience of this podcast throughout the United States, Europe, Asia, as we have this posted on, once again, as I mentioned, on YouTube or through our Cash Tracks Financial Facebook page. And also, we now have a Cash Tracks Financial of Colorado Springs Facebook page as well, trying to reach out even more to our various uh, potential clients throughout all of Colorado and, of course, throughout the United States, which is entirely possible because I am an enrolled agent licensed by the IRS to prepare tax returns in all 50 states. And certainly uh, all are invited to have a uh, free uh, mutual exploration session, which because uh, I really focus on tax planning, trying to help individuals, trying to help businesses to pay as little tax as possible. But oftentimes there needs to be some planning, needs to be looking ahead, needs to be just doing what we can. And certainly we need to get together and have that meeting. So just to kind of see if some of our services will work for you. But if we're just looking at some certain areas, we can certainly look at helping in some specific areas as well. Once again, this is individual or business. And to contact me always through success at cashtracksfinancial.com. Phone number is 844-394-4287. And of course, the website is cashtracksfinancial.com. You can schedule an appointment by either giving a call or by uh, scheduling an appointment on the website. And yes, you get to visit with me personally when we do schedule these appointments. And then we get to work together if we choose to go ahead and take advantage of the many aspects that Cash Tracks Financial has, because we are interested in helping you to do the best you can, which is why I do this podcast, because so many individuals have so much bad information and they need a good information that comes from a tax professional that's really looking out for their individual clients, which is what I do personally as an enrolled agent in helping you. Today's topic is what does your dependent and home energy credits have in common? That seems like an unusual uh, two topics put together, but one reason they do have something in common is, of course, they're related to taxes. And another reason is because change changes from one year to the next. And the reason I'm doing this uh, again about dependence is because change. We look at 2021 was a very unusual year for taxes with dependents because there were a lot of single year credits for dependents. And certainly if you're expecting certain uh, deductions or certain amount of credits this year, maybe if you've been waiting for those uh, checks that came in the mail the last half of 2021, and you're not getting them, well, guess what? That was only for 2021. So we're going to touch on some of those changes as well as changes to the dependent daycare credit as well because there's changes back to the pre-2021 levels. 
there's special situations uh, like divorce, parents, and so on that we're going to take a look at. Filing status is a kind of good reminder. And we're also going to touch on some tax provisions that came out of the Inflation Reduction Act, which mainly has to do with home energy credits. So a lot to cover today. So we're going to get right into it. So in general, who is your dependent? And many people just kind of just think, well, the child lives with me or, or this circumstance or the divorce decree says, well, I can claim this child as my dependent. But what does the IRS rules and regulations say about that? Most commonly, what we encounter is that that's, of course, a child age 18 and under is going to be your dependent that is living in the home. Sometimes it can even be your parent that's dependent upon you if all the tests with the IRS are met. And then there's, of course, what's considered a qualified child or relative, which may not necessarily be a depend a uh, blood relative, but could fall under some of the IRS guidelines. So let's look at the seven tests that the IRS has to determine who is your dependent. The first three are usually pretty easy, is that you as the taxpayer, you're not being claimed as a dependent on another tax return. The individual to whom you are claiming is not filing a married filing joint return. And then of course, the person is a citizen or a resident uh, of the US for you and certainly makes it easier for you to be able to claim them. Then there's other tests, such as the relationship test. Is this person the son, daughter, some type of relative or a stepchild uh, or any other person living with the taxpayer every year? Now, one of the areas where I always uh, encounter issues on this is just with experience with the IRS is in the, ch is in the case of stepchildren. You have a mom who has, from, who has a children from, from another man and then her, she has a new boyfriend who comes in who wants to claim those children, but they don't get married. That's where I've had a lot of issues with people come up. And if they don't, if they're not married, I usually say don't mess with it because in the case of an audit, how are you going to prove that relationship unless you are actually married? So that's just my caution to you is that if you're going to claim someone as a stepchild, make sure you're married to the biological parent. I, to me, it's just absolutely essential. Then residency, of course, live with the taxpayer for more than half the year. That's basically 181 days or you can go to 182 days in the event of a leap year. And you got to be able to have that documentation. There's forms that the IRS has that helps you to understand the documentation that is needed. And you need that documentation. You can say, well, I have the divorce decree that, that says, well, I can claim the child. Well, since 2009, the IRS does not always accept that. And it's even worse if that says, well, you can claim them if the child support is current. Well, even if you have your current child support, that does not guarantee that you'll be able to claim that child upon an IRS audit. So you got to be able to provide records that include school, that show that connects the child with your address. Medical records are always very helpful records from the local social services office. Like if you're on Medicaid or have some other services that you get through social services that shows that child is at that address for over half the year. And each of these items needs to be on some type of official letterhead, especially if it's a school, it needs to be from on a letterhead saying that this child was registered at this address with this individual uh, for the year to help you to get that exemption. And it, well, I should say, get the dependency claimed 
And also, if you're trying to claim things like earned income tax credit, it's just as important. These things are very, very similar. Now, in the case of a divorce, I always, absolutely always recommend when I'm sitting or visiting with the individual who has a divorce decree that says they can claim that child, I always recommend for your tax safety, that's the way to look at it, tax safety, can you please go and have the custodial parent sign this form 8332, which is a release of claim of the child for the year or or multiple years, depending on the circumstance. Now, something that I haven't really thought about before until just recently is that if you're looking ahead toward uh, 2023 and your 2022 taxes, maybe you should think about getting with your tax person, tax professional, which is my straight tax professional, will be able to help you with this right now. And this is what I'm recommending to individuals who are in any situation where they need to have that form 8332 is speak to the custodial parent right now. Don't wait till tax season. Do it right now and see if you can get that form signed so that you can put it with your tax materials and be able to take it in to the tax professional to whom you are working so that they can then help you right there and you have the form you're ready to go you're not having to play uh chase down the custodial parent to get them to sign it or maybe you can find them on a good day and hopefully you have a good relationship so that you can go ahead and get that form signed so that's my recommendation right now as of this broadcast being done being recorded here in september get your form a332 signed as soon as possible in preparation for the coming tax year now, age of the taxpayer is, is important, but even more important is the age of the dependent to whom you're going to claim. Because if they're under age eight, not, under age 19 at the end of the year and younger than the taxpayer, then usually there's not too much of an issue claiming them. Uh, usually, usually you qualify and if the other steps are met. And then if they're over 19, but under age 24 and a full-time student, then definitely you can claim them as well. Now there, there once again could be some support issues in there because that is the next step in there are, is support. Uh, are they providing more than half of their own support? Then you may not be eligible to claim them as a dependent. Many college students uh, are not doing any other work and are dependent upon their parents uh, during their college years and perhaps uh, don't provide for 50% or more of their support. So that's usually their parents claim them and, and take certain tax credits and certain education credits, whereas other college students perhaps do work and provide more than 50% of their or more of their support. So this is another this is another area where I actually am encouraging uh, parents and their children in school or in college in particular, start talking about this or visiting about this now. Get with the tax professional and discuss these matters. That way, once again, when January rolls around, W-2s are coming out and everybody's kind of rushing around to try to get taxes done, just try to get this settled ahead of time. That way you're looking ahead and you have it all ready to go is my just personal recommendation to make sure that it's all taken care of. In an area that I want to really touch on here has to do with a couple of the tax credits that were really elevated in the year 2021 that are not as uh, lucrative in 2022 and going forward. The first one I'm going to look at, 
and discuss with you is the dependent care credit. This credit was pretty much pretty much doubled last year. But this year it's reverts back to what it was in for the 2020 tax year and 2019 and 2018, which basically means is that the first you can do 3,000 for the first child and up to 6,000 total for the children that you have or others that qualify for dependent care. And most commonly that I, what I work with is, is children under age 13 that are in some type of daycare during the day. That's what you can claim the credit on. Now, also keep in mind that some individuals listening to this podcast may have actually gotten some of the money back, may have gotten a refundable portion of the dependent care credit. Well, that is not there for 2022. There is no refundable portion. And once again, it is a non-refundable credit for this year. And the percentage of credit that you get is even less. It drops, drops back down to it goes, it can range anywhere from 35% to 20%, depending on your income. So please keep that in mind as part of your tax planning for the end of the year. And I've been meeting with some individuals about this and just informing you, informing them that this is adjusted. It's not what it was last year. So you're going to get less of this credit. So keep that in mind as well, that if you're planning and looking ahead, or if you haven't even thought about it, thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to get this great credit. I'm spending all this money on on dependent daycare, well, you're not going to get as much of a credit this year. So just keep that in mind. And once again, that's for a qualifying child under age 12, or there could be another qualifying disabled person unable to care for themselves. There's there's a few exceptions to that. So once again, that could be like a, a disabled child that you have that needs a daycare while you're, while you're at work that's over age 12, could even be an adult child, could even maybe be a parent that uh, needs uh, some type of care that you're paying for. So there's a there's a lot of flexibility with the dependent care credit. Uh, but once again, you got to be claiming that individual as a dependent on your tax return. So just please keep those points in mind. Just a few highlights there. That's the dependent care credit. And of course, I always encourage uh, talk to your tax professional to get all of the specific details because there's just a lot really to these. And it's very important to always have the most accurate information. And that's why I've always stressed during this podcast that you don't want just a tax preparer, someone who is seasonal helping you with your tax return and your financial matters. You really need to have a tax professional, one who's going to be there year round. That's why this office here, we're here year round. There's someone answering the phone. Uh, there's regular hours several days during the week. And so with these adjustments and constant adjustments coming, and we don't know what's coming down the pike. We just know where we are as of this broadcast right now. Now, the another area real quick is the child tax credit, which was very lucrative last year. Several individuals received anywhere uh, from 250 to $300 per child last year in, in advanced child tax credit, which was really a challenge during tax season because you had to I had to go in and uh, reconcile the amounts to make sure that what the clients had received from the IRS and sometimes even check their transcripts just to make sure the the amounts were correct and then tracking it down anyway that is not that does not exist so as, as many notes as of this broadcast is that there are none of these checks arriving because that was just a one year deal that that occurred as well as it was refundable. All of it was refundable. I mean, some people got $3,000 per child. Others got $3,600 for their ch children age five and under. That credit 
is not there this year. So if you're thinking you're going to get this elevated refund again because of that, because I had a few people that had some higher refunds because of that child tax credit, it's not going to be there this year. So don't be planning on that. You got to really be looking at your taxes because the, ta the child tax credit for children under age 17 at the end of the year, that's the key, under age 17 at the year of, at the end of 2021, that's going to be $2,000 per child that you're going to get. And that part is non-refundable. So you're not, so if you happen to not have any tax or all the tax gets used up, perhaps by other credits, there's only a thousand four hundred dollars that's that's refundable. So we're back to the old limits. Once again, 2021 child tax credit amounts were for one year. Yes. So you need to be talking ahead or talking to your your tax person, tax professional once again. And that's where we come in handy here to try to help you to understand these areas and meet with individuals because it's it's not too late. I mean, it's getting close. September, the end of September comes along. You're getting a little close there, but still enough time to maybe perhaps make some adjustments, maybe in your W-4 form at work, maybe get a little bit more withholding on it, or maybe you can look at some charitable deductions or... Uh, or maybe make some IRA contributions, see if you qualify, just depending on each of your circumstances, which is what I have to stop and look at whenever I do plan for somebody or try to help them to reduce their taxes, look at all the possibilities open to them to be able to do it. And of course, HSA contributions can be deductible as well. If you're self-employed, maybe some health insurance and so on. So there's, are you making sure you're getting everything? So that's what we want to make, make sure of. Now, what are some special circumstances, once again, on who is my dependent? Well, I've touched on some of these where you have children of divorced parents, which that's always a sad situation to me. You have parents who, whatever reason, separate and there's a divorce and then the county courts go in and make these determinations. Well, the mother can claim the child in these odd years. Father can claim the child in the even years. Um and perhaps the mother is the custodial parent. And so in certain areas, a person, an individual or a parent claims, perhaps thinking, well, I make more money. I can just claim them. And perhaps that, that child, that non-custodial parent does. Well, that's a circumstance I'm going to get to in a little bit. So, but also other circumstances that perhaps come up are maybe you have a parent living, living with a grandparent. And other circumstances that may be there, while there are what's known as tiebreaker rules that really fall into place there, because you got may have the parent's income, you have the grandparent, because the grandparents sometimes are still working. And so you have some additional rules in there, which each circumstance has to be very closely evaluated for the correct filing status, for the correct uh, who's claiming the child. And so all of that as a tax professional, that's what those are questions that should be asked about the household. Okay, who lives in this household? Uh, how many are there? Who makes the amount of money? That way, as a tax professional, they're looking out for your interests. Because we keep in mind with the IRS getting some additional funding in the Inflation Reduction Act, there could be some extra examinations of uh, areas such as earned income tax credit, or perhaps on a Schedule C sole proprietor. Could be just saying, okay, well, we're going to just allow this, show that you are eligible to claim this credit. Also, perhaps you have a disabled child. That can also be your 
dependent and can be your dependent as long as that child is, is living in your household. So just keep that in mind. Another special circumstance, perhaps you've been in doing foster care. You have a foster child that's been placed by an authorized placement agency or other court order. You may have the ability to claim that foster child. There are some rules that take place there, but you that's an eligibility that you may have. So it's something to definitely talk to a tax professional about to do so. Also, once again, a child in college, full-time, it's full-time as defined by the school that is looked at. But for tax purposes, we're also keeping in mind that were they enrolled for any part of five calendar months? Doesn't necessarily mean that they started school, but were they enrolled? So usually most students are enrolled like from January down into May, or maybe they're enrolled from enrolled in August, but may not start till September. It just depends on the school. But sometimes they start in August and go all the way through December. So that's five months. That qualifies them as, as your dependent. And we keep in mind when you think about college, it's not just your four-year colleges or universities that are included in this. It include a technical trade or mechanical school that many students go to or opt to go to in place of a standard four-year college. And then keep also with this, think about this, is that this does not include like on-the-job training classes or correspondence schools or even internet-only schools. So just some points to keep in mind as far as you're trying to claim a child that you have in college. So then what if my dependent is claimed on another return, which is a very disturbing aspect because I, I run into this a few times every year. I have a client come in who has the right by law, by rule to be to claim their child on their tax return because of, of circumstances and just because of qualifications and rules with the IRS. But then we send the tax return in and it comes back that this child, this dependent was claimed by, on another tax return, which is often some type of ex-spouse or someone who, who just, as they say, won the race to file for the child. Well, what can I do about that? Well, some tax preparers will say, well, nothing you can do. You're, you're just going to have to just not claim the child this year. Well, that is uh, not, not the right answer. I've done this year in and year out. Now, there is a way to take care of it and a way to address it. Now, it does mean that it takes a little bit of work to do it, but it's worked. When everybody has can provide the correct documentation, it works every time. And I'm very good at this, which basically be the parent that actually qualifies to claim the child. I say, okay, I need this document, such as school records. I need records of their driver license. If they're a driver, I need a medical record. All this, all this documentation or utilities from the home showing that this is where you lived and then also connect that back to the child that lives in the home with you. Then we gather that documentation together. We put in, put it together with a, with a tax return that we physically mail into the IRS, which... And prior prior to the pandemic, used to not used to take a standard about eight to eight to ten weeks, but with the pandemic, it's because of the IRS being short staffed already. Be, already because of the pandemic, it's it's taken an extended period of time, but it still gets processed. Those who qualify for the refund still get it, and the IRS does eventually go after those 
who wrongly or falsely claimed a dependent on the tax return. So just keep that in mind. But yet you can think, is it is it always just a race? Do I have to file early? Well, yes, in prior years. But there is something that you as a parent can do to help to uh, reduce the risk. So it's like, what can I do? Well, about a couple years ago, the IRS made a decision to allow individuals to get what's known as an identity protection pin. Now, this pin number or this IP pin was previously only available to those who actually had had some type of identity theft. And I have several people that have that get these identity protection pins in the mail faithfully every year from the IRS. But now, like say a couple of years ago, they opened it up to anybody who would like to get one. What is really great about this is that either a parent or the child or the parent and the child, they can go on to the IRS website. This is something that I would actually encourage parents right now to do is to set up an account online with the IRS and request the PIN. Now, you may not actually request the PIN until later on in the year, but you can go set up the online account, which would be a good thing to do. That way you can avoid all of that issue and go through sometimes maybe the, the video chat, which some people have had to do, but you can get all that done ahead of time. And then when we get closer to December, the first part of January before the W-2 start coming out, you can go into your account or go into your child's account. In this case, as we're talking about dependents, go into your child's account and request an IP pin, that identity protection pin. Now, why is that important? Well, when you obtain that pin, what it does is that it prevents anyone else from using that child on a tax return unless they have that six digit pin number. Now, that number also changes every year. And some tax, and it's something, it's something you may need to go in and request each year from the IRS, but it's a way to prevent that so that you can always get your tax return. And it's something that I'm trying uh, new this year with clients myself, because I just thought about how useful that could be in these situations. So that's something I certainly encourage you to do once again, is get with the tax professional, talk to them. And if, and if they don't think it's a good idea if you're talking to, I think it's a great idea. And I'd be happy to try to help ones try to do this there. So let's uh, work on that and some an idea to help to be able to take care of a dependent who uh, has been falsely claimed or wrongly claimed on another tax return to prevent that from even happening. Now, I touched on this a little bit, a little bit ago about, I, I have people come in, well, can I claim my girlfriend's child who is not mine? Well, or can I claim my girlfriend to whom I am not married? There are situations where that can get, which I'm saying, and I encounter it can be very, very difficult. Claiming your girlfriend to whom you're not married, that that's usually possible as, as a qualified relative. Where 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 the difficulty comes in, and I, I've just seen too much trouble with it, which is why I don't recommend doing it, is claiming your is claiming your girlfriend's children who are not your biological children. That is that can really be difficult. Now you may be able to get some some basic credits for it, like another dependent credit for it or something, 
for that child, but getting the major credits like the child tax credit or the earned income tax credit, those could be a little more difficult to support and prove. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing some people get away with it just due to the nature of the system, but it's not something I recommend because you, you can't you can't establish the necessary relationships, especially for the earned income tax credit. So I just don't touch it. I, I just don't recommend doing that. Uh, another case, of course, comes up the court. As I mentioned, court documents will say, well, I can claim my child. Well, why can't I? And I go through and I explain this is what the IRS rules are. Yes, this court document says you can claim your child and we can do it. But just because of IRS regulations that say, we're not necessarily going to accept this court document, but we really need this form 8332 showing that this parent uh, is releasing this dependency to the uh, non-custodial parent. Now, sometimes you got joint custody areas where it's kind of a little gray in there. And those are always, those, once again, those are difficult situations where the court says, well, this year, this, this parent claims a child this year, the mother claims a child uh, this other year, the father claims a child. Well, and they have like joint custody and the children are constantly back and forth. Well, I would definitely recommend if you're in that situation, make sure you have documents that support. You did something like, once again, as I mentioned, school records, doctor records that have your address on it showing that child was there. That way you can prove in the event of some type of correspondence audit that that child was there. Otherwise, it can get very difficult because the IRS could just randomly do it. And I've seen them do it. And I've seen them deny credits. And I've seen and I've seen people submit court documents saying that. And the IRS says, boop, I'm not going to, we're not going to accept that. Just something to keep in mind so that you can definitely keep your children, be able to claim your children uh, according to what the court says, but you need additional documentation. Just the court document is not going to be enough. Now, if you are claiming your children, Another area you need to keep think about is filing status. What is my filing status? Well, of course, if you're a married couple claiming your children or even a blended family that has stepchildren on both sides, uh, that's coming into the blended family, well, you can still be married, file, and joint. And that's that's generally not going to be an issue. And in, in, in tax purposes, it, it goes well, unless you have one of those special circumstances where maybe one of the children can be claimed by by an ex-spouse of some sort. Well, those circumstances, I recommend getting those worked out now before tax season comes. And you can even be, you could sit here and release, okay, the dependency of that child to the non-custodial parent. Now, keep in mind though, that just because you have the dependency as a non-custodial parent does not mean you qualify for the earned income tax credit, which is a big misunderstanding out there, is that, to get the earned income tax credit legally, that child has to physically be in that home, be present in that home six months or more during the year. So dependency and earned income tax credit fall in two completely different areas. So just keep that in mind. Also, if you're a non-custodial parent, you're classified as single. Even if you're claiming that child, you're still single because that child is not in your home. You have to be supporting that child in your home to be classified as head of household. If you're a single parent providing more than 50% of your so of your own support, then you are head of household. If you live with your parents, that's another special situation that comes up. So just keep that in mind. Once again, these are all areas that I really work with closely to really help ones to understand why it's important to work with a tax professional 
and why you get it right. Because anything that's fraudulent with the IRS in a filing has no statute of limitations. And so if they determine there was some type of fraud, the IRS can come after you and they can uh, make a request and issue out bills for uh, fraudulently claimed credits, child tax credit, earned income tax credit, all of that. And so just keep those thoughts in mind. It's very, very important to keep those right. Now, moving on to an area that I wanted to touch on today as well is how the Inflation Reduction Act affects your taxes. How can it affect your taxes? Well, in the short story about it, the only way the Inflation Reduction Act will really affect your taxes is that if you spent some money. Yes, the energy areas of the Inflation Reduction Act the energy credits basically involve you spending some sort of money to get some type of tax credit back. So if you don't have the money to spend on any of these things, it may be a little bit of credit. It could be a challenge to get the, the tax credit. It's just, that's just a fact. Individuals this year who perhaps installed solar panels, um, maybe some windmills, a fuel cell or geothermal, well, they're going to really benefit from that if you've done it, or if you have a contract that's been in place or something that's going to be installed before the end of the year, because the credit was started at 26% for the year, but now it's going to be 30% for the rest of this year and on into 2032. And an interesting point they added to this is that batteries uh, are included on that, like solar batteries that are not a part of the installation. They, they can be included in this as well. And then Keep in mind that this particular credit is non-refundable, which basically means, once again, you have to owe tax to get this credit. And it, But it does carry forward. And I know that, and I've worked this very well with some clients. They've spent tens of thousands of dollars on a solar system. And in some cases, they actually didn't have any tax because of their circumstances. So that just carried forward from one year to the next. And then a year came along where they could use that credit. And they got that credit. Other clients have taken advantage of the solar credit. That's the one I've dealt with uh, side of it and have had it rolled over. They used part of it one year and then rolled over and they got more of it the next year. So it really helped them out quite a bit. So just keep that in mind that now that is 30%. I don't know how that's really affected uh, the solar companies that are selling solar, but I'm sure they're probably out there marketing. Oh, now get this 30% credit. So think about that. That started this year. Now, there's some of these credits that don't start until 2023, like some home improvement credits, because we think about it for years, for certain home efficiency credits, you would get up to a $500 lifetime credit for certain areas, uh, windows, doors, and so on. Well, now they've actually increased that up to $1,200, but that doesn't begin till January 1st of 2023. So if you're thinking of doing certain uh, improvements, energy efficient improvements, other than wind or solar, fuel cell or geothermal, my recommendation would be to wait till after January 1st, 2023. That way you can get the get the $1,200 credit. It's 30% up to $1,200 you can get per year. And that includes things like windows, other exteriors, heat pumps, central air. Some furnaces are included in that credit. Energy audits up to $150. There are limitations in each of these areas. But what would really be wise to do is to kind, kind to really maximize this if you're going to take advantage of these items is to spread it out. Do so much in one year and then do so much the next year, especially like windows. I mean, you can only get $600 a year per window. So basically up to $2,000 on windows each year. 
So do $2,000 in Windows each year so you can get your full tax credit. Otherwise, you're just not getting the credit. But it, it depends on each individual. But that's my recommendation. Try to spread it out there. Is to just stagger these improvements. So you can do you can do some windows and some doors. Do up to two thousand windows one year, and then do some doors, and maybe do a central air one year, or in some furnaces if there are certain efficiency that hit up into those levels. So keep those thoughts in mind. Those are very interesting to think about. And then new rules for electric cars, which is just the real big push right now. Uh, but yet, as we know, they're still not cost effective for many people. That's just that's just the reality. I mean. Average one, average cost being like over $60,000 for a car. But there are some interesting things for those who can perhaps afford an electric car. There had previously been in previous years a $2,000 or not a $2,000, a, a 200,000 car limit on on a manufacturer of how many that they that can get that credit. Well, very, there were still a lot of manufacturers who hadn't reached that 200,000 car limit. But now, they, since that has been removed, there's some GM cars, now even some Teslas that will apply to that. Now, some interesting parts on this is there's an is that there as a part of this law is assembled in the USA rule. That's a part of it. So basically, the car has to be assembled in the United States after August 14th, unless there was a prior contract of some sort already in force. Now, this clean vehicle credit, which is what it's called is $7,500 for new vehicles that are placed in service after 1231 of 22. Interesting about this particular credit is that it can be applied at point of sale. So basically the dealer uh, can apply this credit at point of sale. And it sounds like the dealer gets some type of reimbursement from the government for it. I don't know how that's going to work, but it's, it's interesting. So, but they also put a limitation on price. Yes. It's interesting because, uh, the cars must be under $55,000, which is interesting because most of them are priced over 55. But anyway, it's some limitations on there as far as vehicle price. Buyers, to take advantage of this credit, there's limitations there as out. Well. For example, buyers must make under $150,000 if single or $300,000 if married. So that's just some limitations there. It's interesting. Some plug-in hybrids may qualify. So if you like one of those hybrid ones that have the, the gas engine as well as the, the electric, they may qualify. It just depends on the vehicle. Now, an interesting addition on this is that previously this had only type of credit only been available for new vehicles, but it's also going to come available for used electric vehicles. And they're going to put it at either $4,000 or 30% of the sale price, whichever one is lower though you can get the tax credit on. Now, there are some limitations on this as well. When they put in that, is that the vehicle has to be priced under $25,000, as well as your income itself has to be under $75,000 to qualify for this credit, $75,000 or less if you're single, $150,000 if you're married. Now, the other limitation on this, which is interesting, is the first resale has to be the first resale of it. So basically, it's like you have to be the second owner of the car. And, and, you have to buy it from a dealer. Those are just limitations. That's just what it is. Don't know if it's good or bad. It's just, just what it is. So once again, if you're considering the purchase of an electric car, as I've mentioned so many times throughout this program, you're thinking anything to do with tax, visit with a tax professional so you can be sure and get the best of the tax credit available. Don't just go off of what you hear off of this podcast 
but actually sit down, look at your circumstances, uh, which is why I always tell people it's good to talk to the tax professional, which is why I sit down and visit with people who want to talk about these areas. I just kind of hit the broad view of the information just so it gets out there and I get you some accurate information. What we need to do is keep in mind is that sit down. How does this rule or how does this law affect me? How, if I'm considering an electric car, uh, do I want this tax credit? Okay, what's going to take for me to get this tax credit? I want to make sure, because there's other rules that come in on this with electric cars, such as components rule is coming up in a couple of years as well, which means it has to be U.S. or North American uh, components as well to supposedly try to promote uh, building these cars in the United States. But I don't know. I just know that's what it is. So consider this too. There's a credit of $1,000 that homeowners can get for installing a car charger in their home. Now, they must be basically in a rural or in a low-income track area to get that credit. Now, here's the fun part about this credit. You do not need to own, own an electric car. All you need to do is put the charger into your home, and you can get a credit up to $1,000. Also, there's a little bit of information. I don't have too much on this. There's a lot, a lot of guidance that we're still waiting for. And that's a rebate program that's going to be administered by the states. It's a, it's a rebate of up to $14,000 per taxpayer. So perhaps up to $28,000 for those married, filing joint. We're still waiting for some more guidance on it. And this includes uh, installing some things in the home, such as heat pumps, electric panels, wiring, insulation, all of these little areas. So not, not too much information on that yet. Some of that doesn't even kick in until 2023, administered by the states. So we're still waiting for more guidance. So as we see here, as we go through, once again, this uh, muddled, crazy area of taxes, we see from both dependents, how that's it's changed from 2021 to 2022, as far as a certain tax credits, uh, the child tax credit, the dependent daycare credit, those have changed, but yet the whole core of exactly who is your dependent, that has not changed. Those are still very specific rules that I encourage all to look at very closely. And once again, visit with your tax professional if you have any uh, specific questions about those. If you're thinking about some type of electric car or other uh, green energy prospects for your home, once again, uh, the solar companies or other companies marketing those, they do a good job of, of, of promoting about the credits, but still doesn't hurt to talk to your tax professional and get all the information about those because it's very good to do. And so as I talk, talk with you today, and as I always encourage you to really speak to a tax professional such as myself, an IRA, an IRS enrolled agent, it's very important to always look at these things very, very carefully and be able to uh, get them very, very accurate and be able to have a minimum tax liability. Use all the tools that are out there. Considering starting a business, talk to a tax professional first because the majority of people who start a business fail to do that and end up paying a lot more in tax because maybe they didn't choose the right entity. They didn't track expenses correctly, all of that. That's just another example there. If you're not not self-employed, but looking to save some money on taxes. Well, what kind of benefits does your employer offer? Uh, one of the unique specialties that I have as I talk to people about their tax planning is that I'm also securities licensed. So I'm familiar with IRAs. I'm familiar with 401ks. 
I'm familiar with many employer benefits because I'm also uh, insurance licensed as well for life and health insurance. So I, I got I got the information there. I know what it's like to be able to understand these things, and I can actually help you to understand your benefits uh, a little bit if you're having if you're not quite getting all the information you think you need from your employer, or even if you're individual looking at uh, certain areas. Something we can definitely help with if you're self-employed. Are you taking advantage of the health insurance deduction that you get as a self-employed person, or are you taking advantage? of being able to employ your spouse? Um, are you a corporation using certain benefits uh, for uh, tax purposes, for being able to save on taxes? As far as for your personal uh, personal health insurance or, or other areas, personal retirement, areas like that. Different, just different points to keep in mind uh, of how you can save on taxes and be able to uh, purchase equipment. Are you buying the equipment? Are you thinking about deducting it right? Are you thinking, well, I'm just going to buy this and expense it? Is that the right move for you? Do you perhaps uh, need to stop and look at your withholding? I mean, I meet with individuals uh, constantly who whose withholding is off uh, and thus they're paying more taxes at the end of the year because there's just not being held enough, enough held out through their checks. And there's various other areas. Maybe do you have a uh, tax, uh, a tax advantaged plan at work? Can you contribute to an HSA through your employer and have an HSA qualified health plan? These are just little areas that little questions that I put out to people. And I just want ones to encourage ones to be able to think about these because you can still adjust your withholding. If needed, you can make estimated payments. Even if you're on a W-2, you can make an estimated payment for the year. That way you can reduce your uh, burden come tax time. And I do all of this uh, through, like, through either in-person meetings, because I also can work with you if you happen to be like in Colorado Springs. I have an office location up there I can use to meet with you in person if need be, or we can all do through through virtual, through the meetings, through a video conference meeting, uh, and do your virtual tax preparation, do e-signatures uh, for both uh, engagement letters and the actual tax return. We've got all that set up. Certainly willing to work with you and help you to establish goals to be even more successful, because we know a lot of people are really struggling now. And we want to help you to, to muddle through and to get through and to walk through everything that needs to be done so you can be successful through these challenging times. This is Marcelino Dodge and Rolled Asian. Once again, certainly encourage you to give me a call. It's 844-394-4287. You can always email me at success at cashtracksfinancial.com. And once again, that phone number, 844 844- 394-4287 to have a good tax planning session with me. I really appreciate you listening to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge because I always, always want to work to make tax time less taxing for you. Again, this is Marcelino Dodge, enrolled agent with the Tax Answers Advisor on the Voice America Business Channel. Thank you for listening to the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. We'll be back again next Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more to share next week.
Each year, you file taxes, save money, spend money, and run your business. You try to educate yourself and manage as much as you can on your own. But no matter how hard you search, trying to find the solutions right for you can lead to frustration and burnout. The traditional tax filing and bookkeeping approach no longer works. In a perfect world, the tax professional would work with you throughout the year so you have more time and energy to do the things you love. Marcelino Dodge at Cash Tracks Financial believes you should focus on your job and have a partner to support you to take care of everything else. That is why we developed our personal success and business success bundles. Our clients achieve better results because we focus on more than just tax and bookkeeping stuff. We start with a no-cost mutual exploration meeting to determine if our success bundles are right for you. To schedule your free mutual exploration session, call 844-394-4287, email success at cashtracksfinancial.com or visit cashtracksfinancial.com.